Rebels of Storytelling is the new video series on the future of film and visual media, featuring exclusive interviews with leaders in storytelling. The show covers topics including diversity, interactive filmmaking, world building and virtual production. The series is available now for free exclusively at futureoffilm.live. You just need to register on the site, which takes less than a minute. So that's Rebels of Storytelling, available now at futureoffilm.live. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Season 3 of Film Disruptors, the podcast on the future of film. My name is Alex Stoltz, and today we are looking at the future of film marketing which due to the events of the past few months is a massive challenge, maybe an opportunity as well, as film and entertainment industries race to adapt to the so-called new normal. And we have an all-star constellation of expert speakers on the episode today, including Catherine Downs, who's CMO and COO of UsherU, Kieran O'Hareley, a digital strategist and Google Product Partnerships Manager. Wendy Burnfield is founder and director of Right Stuff and a recognized VOD expert, particularly in the indie space. Lissy Johnson, founder of Bread and Butter Marketing, a specialist digital agency. From Facebook, we have Darren Sakira client partner entertainment and lastly but not least ben johnson who is founder and ceo of groovy who joins us on the show for the second time this episode is brought to you in partnership with usher you UsherU is designed to transform film marketing by empowering producers and distributors with massively enhanced data and understanding about their campaigns and audience. This is all achieved by the creation of a stunning web platform for all your films and business. I have personally worked with UsherU since it was founded in 2014, and if you would like to find out more about how the platform can transform your film marketing and business, please just drop me a line at my UsherU address. That's astoltz at usheru.com. So that just leaves me to say thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy this episode of the Film Disruptors podcast where we focus on the future of film marketing. And in this section, Kieran, Catherine and Wendy discuss the different strategies they're seeing right now in digital marketing for film. And Kieran, in particular, who has great expertise in launching video games online, starts by sharing what he's seeing working in the online space for the gaming industry. I think similar to the, the film industry, obviously there's a whole lot of risk with everything you produce, um, whether it's going to you know, meet the audience that you intended to, to meet, if it's going to meet the goals, and they may be financial goals or they may be other goals. Um, 
but for, for the most part, there's a lot of um, money goes into developing games, as I'm sure that does with film. Um, so to that end, there's a lot of mitig mitigation that needs to happen. And um, the studios have kind of moved from uh, a world where consumers were just consuming the content to being active participants now. And I might give a, bit, a few examples of, of that. Um, one of the biggest franchises out there is um, League of Legends, which is from a company called uh, Riot Games. It's a, it's a global phenomenon at this point. They fill arenas to watch um, tournaments and so on. And early on, they had a lot of hardship around uh, managing um, their IP and infringements on their IP. So they had a decision to make in terms of staffing that as they were trying to develop their the game and move into new territories and, and acquire more users and so on. And they understood that there was quite a, a burden of resources on managing the IP and side of their, their business. So they took quite a um, progressive view and decided that, okay, what kind of infringements are we seeing? Is it coming from within the community? And, and they turned things completely upside down and they started facilitating the community to use their IP, to fan art, uh, create wikis. And that ended up being quite a, a significant pillar of their success because they had one of the more, more loyal audiences out there, uh, an audience that would fight for them, uh, and a, an audience that really felt that Riot Games was aligned with their goals as well. So I, I think that was really, um, they were one of the very good examples of engaging with um, your audience, turning them into participants, and activating them as fans who you go out and win business for you. You know, I could talk to you long and hard about, you know, spending money to make money in terms of paid advertising. But I think um, those kind of more meta strategies are super, super important and they complement spend money at the end of the day. If you can facilitate that kind of a community around the launch, so engaging with people early, during and after, I think that makes every other bit of your marketing all that more powerful. Karen, I've actually in, in, I got some thoughts on this and I'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, we talk, myself and my business partner, Ali, is the CEO of Bushy. We often talk about how to help a film distributor distributor which is essentially like the gaming studio how to help them build their own audience of fans so i'm curious in gaming are people typically being you know are they a fan of the studio's work and is that something that you see really strong or are they fan of the game and because you know i think some studio like we see in film i think some distributors can create fans of their catalog and fans of everything they bring out the way a writer you know you look at a writer I like everything they do or the choices they make or the, the genres that they produce and release or is it more game focused or maybe both? I'm not, I actually don't know the answer to this question. I'd love to know what happens there. I'm going to take a stab. I don't know if I know the answer uh, completely, but I'll take a stab at it. Um, there, for sure, there are celebrities in the space and there's, you know, that attract their own fandom. So for example, um, Galway natives, the Romeros, um, are gods in the world of, of gaming. Mm -hmm. uh, they originally produced Doom, which is one of the most classic IPs. Um, so you've got people like that who are out there and whatever they touch, they're, they're going to have droves of people coming after them, right? Um, but you also have people creating a brand new IP that just, just works. And, and this is something that I, I've really found very interesting over the years is the relationship between um, publishers and game studios and how that's changed. Um, because certainly when I started out in, in Google, Publishers were almost seen as a threat to, to the individual game studios. And when mobile came along, uh, many gaming studios thought, okay, we can bypass publishing. We don't need them. We don't need their skills. And, and what's been very interesting over the last couple of years is to see how the relationship between studios and publishing companies ha has improved. Um, and 
how that works is uh, you can build brand new IP, brand new game. And these publishers often help you get it to the right audience, right? Because I've seen examples in the past where uh, studios believe they had a great game. All the professionals were telling them they had a great game, but they couldn't match make that game with the right audience. So therefore, you know, depending on their goals, typically financial, um, the, the IP failed. Whereas what's happening now, which is really, really interesting, is some of the, the big studios, you may have heard of a company called um, Voodoo, or a huge publisher um, in the gaming world. Part of what Voodoo do is they really partner with the game studio to, to train them on the data side of things, to help them actually get samples of data, to, to modify their proposition as they go. So um, I think there's a combination of obviously the celebrities in the space, you can bring their own users. But for the most part, a lot of these games are reaching audiences for the very first time. Um, brands are being built, of course, and, and, and loyalty is, is coming with it, like Riot Games example. And um, for, for many of the studios, it's, um, you know, it's, very, um, it's starting vanilla. Yeah, I don't know if, I, actually, it's really interesting because I don't know if Wendy and Alex are drawing the same conclusions, like the parallels to, you're talking about the publishers there is, I suppose, a bit of an intermediary between the producers of the game and the consumers of it is like in our, in the world of film, that's, you know, the cinemas maybe finding those initial audiences and that the role that it plays is like, you can go direct or you have, you know, you should have a good relationship with these, this essential distrib. It is a distributor, the, the, uh, you know, I think it's I think it's a distributor, isn't it? It's like yeah. it's the people who are marketing who have that data coming back from audiences. And well, that would be that yeah. What Wendy, go on. What do you what do you think? I, I maybe I have a different black sheep spin here being digital, but I think sometimes the traditional forms of uh of marketing, the push advertising and push yeah. marketing is wildly inappropriate in a uh, feature film for sex. And I've noticed even uh, studios with massive budgets, you know, will still invade your social media with watch my trailer, see my film now on tonight at nine. And it's, it's a complete turnoff. Uh, I think <laughs> at least in, uh, in the VOD space, um, what I have found works for what it's worth is also quite inexpensive. It's more organic uh, social media marketing where you're barely, if ever, mentioning until later the name of the film even or the name of the studio at all. And you begin with a thematic thing. If it's a, you know, vampire movies, you post interesting articles or excerpts from vampire theme all over the world. You know, you build kind of a following and then at some point you lead them to the fact that you have this trailer or film. And I think that's far more engaging and also not expensive except in time. But you really reach out to the, the fans of the topic before they've heard the name of your film, before they've heard the name of your indie studio. And often, uh, you know, in VOD, telecom or cable companies aren't always great marketers. Distributors aren't always great marketers. Producers can be. They can mm. speak to their fans and their audiences or create them, um, but often don't think it's their role. But I mean, I, I just can't stress enough this kind of hybrid approach where, you know, there's a digital angle, a traditional angle, there's reps that are good in both and bringing them together gives you the most uh, audience and the most bang for your buck. Yeah. Uh, and I, I certainly DIY, um, you know, that the way you've described in 
in gaming DIY and uh, freemium approaches where something is free and then you pay for the next level up. To me, that works very well transcending from gaming to film and to VOD platforms. Can I ask you, Kieran? you're like the, uh, what's the word? <laughs> We're just picking your brain here completely. Um, if I have, imagine I have a game, right? And I'm publishing it into now the world of online gaming and it's, it's uh, you know, very saturated. And, and this, I'm trying to see like, okay, if I've got a film and I'm trying to put it out into the world of VOD, which, you know, there's a lot of content. What, what's a, what's a, what's, what have you seen work for a gaming publisher or a, studio like to just apart from just cold hard cash imagine i'm a small small producer i put a game out how am i getting noticed this is particularly for smaller studios at the moment yeah. just trying to you know amass a bit of an audience um and i'm not sure if it's directly you know corresponds to the film industry but and i'll give a shout out a shout out to an irish company uh, called toll team for you all to check out an irish studio um yeah. The, the approach is as follows, you know, they'll release at least a beta of the, of the game. So maybe not the entirety of the game and, and not necessarily a polished version of mm -hmm. the game. And, and the release is a beta to get those early adopters who may be more passionate about the subject than, than others to get their kind of feedback, to kind of get the, the meta of, of the, what is the culture around this game and is there one? And, and they try to bring these people together as early as possible. And they do so using a product called uh, Discord, which is a, a chat tool similar to WhatsApp and so on. And they'll go as far as embedding that chat tool on the page of the game. So uh, I was talking to John, who's the founder of Toll Team, only a couple of days ago. And he's like, yeah, we've, we've released a game. It's Smash Carts, which is a very similar you know, racing game. Um, and he's like, it's, it's incredible what 16-year-old um, you know, boys speak about because <laughs> they're, they're participating in it. Uh, there's this group, Discord group of hundreds, if not thousands of these kids and they're learning. They're like, wow, that, that, that matters to them? That's interesting. Uh, you know, had we intended that? Or, oh, you know, they appreciate that little fine detail that we, we added to it. So I, I think that really works where you're building, um, bringing people together to discuss your, your, your product or your, your, your piece of yeah, art. Um, yeah. The other thing that's quite fascinating at the moment is, uh, and I, guess, I don't know if it's transferable again, is the world of influencers, which is almost a dirty word, but let's say streamers. Streamers in, in gaming is huge. And uh, there's a new phenomenon whereby um, they make use of game rooms. So whereby a, an influencer might have a specific game room where they bring their fans into. And that will be multiplied. So each streamer will have their own group. And, and, and as a game studio, you can learn a lot from, from watching how those uh, different environments differ from each other. And you get a sense of what works and what doesn't. So I think those two phenomena are, are quite interesting. And they're doable, I think, for, for small studios. Yeah, that's interesting. I was about to use the word exponential growth there, Karen. Sounds like. <laughs> and with the, with the film side. Go, Wendy, go. Yeah. Oh, just on the film side, uh, not in the urgent launching tomorrow case during Corona now, but in general, there have been many examples of innovative marketing similar to what you described for gaming, where you release early stage uh, stills, storyboards, uh, excerpts, uh, uh, kicking around concepts with audience, you know, you engage with audiences around the theme long before the film is made and then uh, get their feet 
feedback along the way, whether you use it or not. It's a form of engagement and marketing. And then uh, the film progresses from there. Obviously, that doesn't work when you have six days to go online with the Copenhagen Docs Fest. But if you have a few months to go online before your festival or before your launch, um, there's a lot of non-push materials that can be shared with audiences. And I, I still find today it's shocking that some of the highest end sales agents in art house in Europe still refuse to release a trailer, for example, on YouTube. There's a, you know, there's, there's uh, sometimes a very staunch uh, holding back of yeah. assets from the film. Uh, and I, I, other times I see very innovative approaches, but it certainly now it makes sense to be using digital as best as possible. Rebels of Storytelling is the new video series on the future of film and visual media, featuring exclusive interviews with leaders in storytelling. The show covers topics including diversity, interactive filmmaking, world building and virtual production. The series is available now for free exclusively at futureoffilm.live. You just need to register on the site, which takes less than a minute. So that's Rebels of Storytelling, available now at futureoffilm.live. You're listening to the Film Disruptors podcast, and this episode is devoted to the future of film marketing, presented by Usher U. In this section, Ben, Lucy and Darren discuss their perspectives on some of the more detailed aspects of planning your digital campaign, starting with Ben, who talks about what he's seeing in his role at Groovy. Everything's based on behavior. So like in any good e-commerce routine, you know, any site is always looking at who's buying, who's getting halfway through the funnel. Um, in our tools, we've had this thing called the Showtimes unit, which is our point of sale uh, within this, uh, this bit that we're monitoring. And so uh, what we're linking uh, our tracking through is how much interest did this particular pixel have in this film, uh, the genre of the film, the type of film that's, uh, uh, that the movie's about, and that's also recorded within our database. And essentially what that allows us to do is... is you know, add a, an element of behavioral modeling into uh, our media buy. So someone who's interacted with a Showtime or uh, watched a video for a certain length or shared one of our experiences with, with their friends is a, is a lot more engaged user than someone who just visits a website and doesn't do anything. So we have different buckets of behavior that we're recording against. Um, we're able then to return to Facebook or Google and go, okay, we have this modeled audience for this type of film. They've expressed an interest in trying to buy tickets. Can we, you know, get more of this type of user? If you look at any standard e-commerce model, uh, what's missing from our industry is the ability to track from ad through to the purchase of a ticket. Lucy, let me come to you. Um, so how, how much of what Ben was talking about there sort of sounds, <laughs> sounds familiar to you when um, talking, you know, when dealing with other industries? And, uh, and this process, I think Ben alluded to there, is like 
attribute attribution um and and you know trying to how whether that piece of advertising resulted in that ticket sale is that like a sort of a, another a challenge you also find in in other industries definitely so it's something we've um i work on a lot is is, is working out which bits of marketing are working best and which aren't and and 10 years ago when people were they were so excited about e-commerce because you could tell exactly which piece of marketing caused which sale and it was you know tools like google analytics you could look in and say okay i ran google ads for a month and i got from those google ads i spent three thousand pounds and i made nine thousand pounds in sales everything's good uh but but what we found what people found very quickly was that actually it wasn't like old school offline marketing had stopped working altogether. It was just that, as, as Ben was saying, it's, it's really hard to, to track that final piece of the, the puzzle. And one of the things um, that we're all talking about in my industry a lot is, is, is attribution modeling. I'm sure you guys are, are talking about it too, but is how, how do we... <clears throat> so, so tools like Google Analytics allow... will show you what the last thing that someone did before they made the purchase or before they walked into the, in some cases, you know, you can track with Google ads when someone's walked into a store or when someone's walked into a cinema, in fact. Um, but what you're trying not to do is to give all the value of that sale or that store visit or whatever it is to the last thing that happened, because probably it's not as simple as someone Googles, I want to see a film tonight I don't know which film, you know, with what's on tonight and, and literally goes to see it. Probably there's a run up of that thing. They maybe they start searching a week before, two weeks before. They might have a quick look on their mobile. They might be chatting on WhatsApp with a group. Um, and so how do we give credit for those early parts of the purchase cycle effectively? Um, and, and the logical thing, if you're looking at traditional attribution modeling where all the value goes to the last click is you would say okay don't bid nearly so much on mobiles but the problem is if, if you don't do that then people are doing all the research on their mobile phones and therefore you're missing out on people at that early awareness raising stage so the the, the importance of an attribution model is is and looking at google and facebook are all looking at these at the moment is how do you work out if, you, if you've got large volumes of data, there are um, tools out there that can help you model it out and, and do it scientifically with a data-driven attribution model where they, they work out where the, where the um, value came from. If you're smaller, um, there are ways of doing it in, without exact numbers, but you can do it on a, a modeling basis. And, and it's a really, really important thing to think about for your individual business, your model and what you're doing, because otherwise you'll make the mistake of, of only investing at the bottom of the funnel rather than at the important stuff at, at the top. Oh, that's, I mean, that's fascinating. I think, um, you know, there's definitely lots of parallels with, with film, like what's the festival premiere, how, what impact does that have on mm. people's mm. awareness? The, uh, you know, if you're lucky enough to get a, a talk show or some, uh, some radio interviews or whatever, that general awareness, I suppose there's, you know, it's that, it's that journey, isn't it? From awareness to interest to desire to to purchase, which is the and 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 it's trying to figure out how to to join that all up in into one sort of online. Um, and the more you yeah. the more you look at it, the more the more you'll see opportunities to to. to I mean, tracking it's such a boring boring part of anything, but but the more you work this out in advance, you can put in place ways of tracking 
those offline interactions, those early interactions using, um, you know, UTM parameters, which are incredibly boring, but but so fundamentally interesting once it tells you which part of your marketing is working well and which part isn't. So the, the, the planning of these campaigns, including the tracking is, 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 as I say, boring, but incredibly important. And following on from Lucy Johnson there, here's Darren Sakira from Facebook with more thoughts on attribution, modeling, and digital advertising in film. Yeah, you know, I think we're all in the same, in, in a similar territory um, with this. What, what's really interesting to me, maybe um, if I track back a little bit and um, sort of a bit of an anecdote, which, which is why I think this, this phase right now in entertainment marketing and film marketing is so incredibly interesting, is um, if I think, um, I mean, I've known um, several of the people on the panel for, for a good few years, so I've, I've worked on and off on entertainment for, for a good while. Um, and at Facebook, I did a whole stint outside of the category, actually an FMCG running the, the global partnership teams for FMCG. Um, about five, six years ago, I came back to entertainment, kind of what I wanted to sort of come back to and, uh, and, and, pro- and progress um, uh, for, for my career. And it was so interesting coming out of a, um, you know, category heavily steeped um, in measurement, in, in data and insights and, and had, um, you know, give or take between FMCG brands and bricks and mortar grocery, you know, with some pretty big data sets from people like Dunhumby and Kantar, very, very well established, you know, third party data sets uh, that come from real purchase. And so coming out of that environment where they built, you know, ROI models, and they were kind of very well versed in MMM models, you know, which is just, you know, big volumes of sales over time uh, measured against which which media is actually, you know, d- delivering the, the most bang for the buck. Um, so coming out of that environment uh, and having sort of brought Facebook into that space, you know, as, as the sort of new maverick that didn't have any of those kind of, um, you know, any of those... Um, uh, data feed kind of set up. I was, I was, I was actually, I shouldn't have been really, but maybe I was a little bit naive. I was quite shocked coming back in entertainment. I was like, wow, you know, six, seven years ago, it, it was still, you know, we're going to put our trailers out there and, uh, and, and just with sheer kind of belief and, and, you know, the excitement that we have around the talent and, you know, the interaction that we've had with the filmmakers about what they've done. Um, this is going to be great. You know, and, and, and that was that was pretty much, you know, dare I say it, this kind of slight finger in the air, um, you know, style of marketing uh, that was pretty much across the board. I think, you know, uh, Ben, Lucy, anyone else that's worked in entertainment for a little while um, would, would probably agree. Um, you know, even up to, you know, senior level in L.A., you know, at, at the studios, at, at the HQs. So so that was quite a shock. And so um, but but they were just on the cusp really of, of a change. And so it's such an interesting journey that we went through. And the first one was to look at creative, you know, um, and to Lucy's point about optimizing on mobile, you know, we actually went there first. We said, look, you know, as beautiful as the two minute trailer is, um, it's, it, it doesn't work on our platforms. Uh, and so there was, there was a, you know, um, a, a deep uh, and quite long lasting sort of debate around that. And it wasn't until really we were able to bring some, some reasonably um, impactful, data around it we did about 167 lift studies and showed you know three things that optimizing the trailer for the mobile space um gave you you know two times the lift um in in intent um optimizing for the broadest audience that was relevant for your film and your budget so not 
broad every time. It's a small film, the broadest you can get. If it's a big four quad film, then then pretty much, you know, 16 to 34 adults and beyond. Um, and then thirdly, optimizing frequency as well, the right phase in the campaign. So we found, you know, one, one to two per person per week for trailers um, to, to, to get people to notice. And then three to four to get them to convert, you know, as you get closer um, to launch of your film uh, or launch of your home entertainment product. Um, and, and we did a lot of testing around that and got pretty confident ourselves, you know, that this just wasn't a, a Facebook angle. Actually, this, this was a meaningful, you know, finding about our platforms. And so we went then with confidence to tell, to, to be able to discuss and, you know, cajole the industry into sort of changing what, you know, really they'd been doing for, you know, three or four decades, which is, you know, marketing, all films in pretty much the same way with a sort of two minute plus trailer that of course came from the heritage of seeing that trailer, you know, sat as a very cap captivated audience in the cinema and was essentially just ported to other, you know, other platforms such as TV and then to digital and then to mobile. And of course we all know, um, you know, each, each of these platforms are distinct have the distinct value um so that's been a really in interesting journey and then um what i'd say around you know um how we how we're planning campaigns is we we do have uh, to lucy's point where we, we do um have a you know a a playbook, if you like, um, which, you know, works around a, you know, life cycle um, of, um, of audience decision-making around, around uh, movie and movies and home entertainment. However, let me tell you, that is just sort of being blown apart, not, not just by the COVID crisis, um, but by, you know, this fragmentation of all the different entertainment choices um, that are out there. 74% of our audience say that they're overwhelmed with the wealth of entertainment choice. So, you know, there's so much coming at them that, yeah, to, to Lucy's and Ben's point, the, the um, decision-making process is now, you know, changing uh, again, you know, um, and probably will be in continual flux. Uh, and that's before we, I'm sure we'll discuss COVID in a bit, but, and that's before the additional change factor that is COVID, you know? So, um, so what, what we're taking from that is that we're constantly um, re-looking at that playbook, re-looking at what that, um, that launch lifecycle looks like so that we can give the most up-to-date, yeah, recommendations of, uh, of what to do to, to convert entertainment sales. Uh, yeah, thanks, Mary. So, so uh, on on the trade, going back to the trailer point, that's uh, what's your what's your recommendation for people there? Just on that on that one piece, yeah, relatively simple, and and it should make intuitive sense for everyone, anyone that uses a mobile. You know, mobile is still it, it is that word. It, it is primarily on the go, uh, and then our platforms in particular are fast moving platforms people move through feed very quickly um stories is even quicker you know so we've kind of measured that younger audiences in particular particular you know can pick up a branding message in under a second on stories you know it's that fast you know this is very you know at counterintuitive to what movie makers and what entertainment marketeers do which is tell a story a story arc you know, um, 30 seconds, one minute, two minutes. Um, so our recommendation, again, comes from the audience behaviour and comes from the data. So we found with a, a Nielsen study that 75% um, of the branding impact can be delivered in, in the first 15 seconds. So that's not to say that 15 seconds plus isn't still valuable, but there's another 25% still to be had there but actually the lion's share of the branding impact on our platforms feed stories comes in the first 15 seconds um, and then we know again particularly for younger audiences there's this um 
thumb stopping rule, which is that, you know, we should be trying to grab attention quickly. Otherwise, audiences are moving on to the next thing, you know, their friends, their family, um, you know, a lot, all the other content that they could potentially be looking at. Um, so, so the core recommendation is to focus around uh, 15 seconds for entertainment in particular, because we do you know, have a story to tell that takes a few seconds to do, but also to think about what we call the three second audition, which is to get, um, you know, the, the key aspects of your film in there. And again, it sounds pretty obvious, but a lot of people don't do this. So it is the title, you know, and people remember what it is. The title is absolutely key. Um, if you've got big talent or key talent, then talent, um, depending on the genre, if it's an action film, then you can get you know, a moment of, of high octane action in there. Um, if it's other end of the scale, you know, like a, um, a grown up drama, then it might be a, you know, beautiful visual and the title that sort of draws the audience in and entices them beyond that two, three seconds into, you know, the five, eight, 10 second um, experience, you know, which, which helps them understand the narrative of that particular movie. Um, but you can see it's, it's all very, you know, in, in the world of movies, which are two hours plus long, this is, this is compressing them down to for a lot of you know um uh, creators and movie makers quite an uncomfortably you know short form type of environment well one of the things that i've i've seen from from certainly from other industries is that a, a range of sizes and lengths is for, for any sort of video is, is so important because it, it they what works well in one place can work very differently in another or for one audience works well and other so having them and, and testing them is is so important because uh, giving giving a range of choices and, and some will work better sometimes and others will work better but you you won't find out until you actually test it so the more variety you can have up front and chance to, to try out what's going to work whether it might be an eight second spot in one or a 25 seconds in another and and then there's also kind of all of YouTube's rules around you know the five first five three seconds of a pre-roll or, or the first 30 seconds um, and to making the most of, of those opportunities as well. And lastly, I asked Darren, Lucy and Ben for one piece of advice for distributors, for producers, for marketeers when thinking about their digital marketing strategy. So difficult to pick one, always. Um, but at, at this stage, I think um, I'd say, and, and to make it relevant for all listeners, I'd say... Um, as we talked about friction, so I think everyone kind of gets that, but I think the one I'd focus on um, would be also obsess, really focus on um, identifying and optimising for the signals that are relevant to you. So if you are a small distributor with an art house film, um, you know, your, your signal will be, you know, have I been able to gather engagement, content creators and influencers, you know, around my film um to you know to, to blow it up like you know like blue story you know um and if you are a major studio um with you know with pvod going you know to to market so you know premium video um then you know then your signal is you know how quickly can i can i generate downloads uh, you know and, and and hit the kind of success that we saw for universal trolls so that's sort of if you like both ends of quite a quite a vast spectrum and there's definitely lots in the middle there but but the same thing applies so to identify the the signal that is key to your success for your film for your entertainment launch um, and then work out with the, the platform you know that can help you aggressively and very efficiently um, go after that signal and, and you'll drive success for your campaign and your launch 
I'll happy to go next. I was just thinking about it and thinking actually the piece of advice I'd go for if you haven't done much testing before is test something. It it, it always feels like it, it should be people get obsessed with the science and the I've just mentioned things like statist, sorry, statistically significant data, which if you're not a mathematician or a statistician can be a bit frightening. But just just trying something is better than not doing anything and you'll get better at it. So try it once. You maybe will think, oh, I didn't measure that and I should have done. Next time you, you will measure it and you'll do it better. And if you, the more you do it, the more it'll become part of your everyday processes and, and the more you'll start to work it into building the campaigns and, and getting going. So my, my biggest piece of advice would be try something, just just do it and, and then come. you'll get better at it. You know, it's been a terrible time for a lot of people within the industry. And, uh, you know, for our economies in general, but, you know, we seem to be popping out the other end now with, uh, you know, a more, hopefully more sensible government policy going forwards. But the, the key thing is within these kinds of environments, there's always opportunity. So, you know, you, you've got to look at your businesses. I mean, we've certainly been, you know, uh, on the ropes for the last two months trying to figure out what we do next because 95% of our business was, 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 was films going into theatres. Um, fortunately, we've managed to explode pretty quickly into the VOD side of things. Uh, and our key area there is to try and figure out this, this, this issue with tracking. Uh, tracking is even worse in video on demand than with theatres. So uh, that's the, the nut that we're busy cracking right now. And uh, we're being very public about this on LinkedIn. The other thing is just share the experiences. I mean, like we're, we're really trying to push out as much data as we possibly can. You know, if anybody wants to reach out and ask a few questions, by all means, you know, we've got, you know, people working in different uh, parts of the world around Europe. And I think it's really just an opportunity to make something, you know, stronger and better because, you know, there's a chance that this will happen again next year and we've got to prepare our industries for that. Um, I think everyone has learned a lot from this experience. Uh, so maintaining a positive mindset is one, but also being pragmatic about the future and realizing that you know, within our businesses, distributors rely on cinemas and cinemas rely on distributors. And you know, this is an opportunity to get the two to actually start to coalesce towards the common objective of getting more bums on seats at the end of the day, which is why we're here. That's the end of this episode of Film Disruptors, which was taken from the Usher You Future of Film marketing series, which was a webinar which series which took place in May 2020. Rebels of Storytelling is the new video series on the future of film and visual media, featuring exclusive interviews with leaders in storytelling. The show covers topics including diversity, interactive filmmaking, world building, and virtual production. The series is available now for free exclusively at futureoffilm.live. You just need to register on the site, which takes less than a minute. So that's Rebels of Storytelling, available now at futureoffilm.live. If you are enjoying this show or just want to find out more, there are a few ways to stay up to date. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow on Spotify or any of the major podcast platforms. You can also sign up for updates at the new home of Film Disruptors, which is futureoffilm.live. Just enter your email to receive all the latest news and episodes straight to your inbox. 
and this is where you can also access all three seasons of the show and discover all of the other future of film activities and resources available. <laughs>